Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Time to talk a little Astros and Baseball Hall of Fame with my co-host, R.G. Seal. And R.G., I don't know if you saw this this uh, past weekend. Last weekend, Josh Reddick got married. Did you see his Spider-Man wedding cake? You going to get one of those? Yeah, I saw that he uh, Spider-Man was the theme over there. Hey, I can't complain, you know, when you're using Marvel. Marvel's uh, the kingmaker of success these days with the... Uh, Avengers coming up this year. Of course, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, been in top of the box office, nominated for Academy Awards. So, hey, he's got his Spidey sense going. He's going to spin some Spidey webs at Josh Reddick this year. Even a couple of wrestling belts that he made up for husband and wife, which, you know, he's a big wrestling fan. I get it. Uh, uh, what, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Hey, I finally had a chance to listen to Colin McHugh's podcast. His first two guests, Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton, this is what I learned, RG. I learned a couple of things. Uh, when McCullers retires, his dream is to open up a cool coffee shop. Uh, he's a big coffee guy. So he'll be competing with Starbucks then, huh? Or is he going to make his own kind of uh, independent uh, coffee, just a regular coffee shop, huh? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's in your plans. But Charlie Morton also, he's got uh, into woodworking. You know, the more I hear about Charlie Morton, the more you start believing he's baseball's version of Nick Offerman. He's got all the odd stuff and he's kind of this quiet guy and sort of funny when you start talking to him, but you kind of have to be around. I don't know. He just reminds me a lot of Nick Offerman. Astros, uh, good news. Correa says he's back 100%, says he's, quote, feeling awesome. So that's good. Tony Kemp, he's gained 12 pounds this offseason. He credited a trip across Europe where he ate all the carbs he can find. I must have gone to Italy then, had some good pasta. Yeah, you do You do that all the time, right? Well, I don't eat pasta all the time, but yeah, no, I love pasta. I'm not doing the carb diet to add weight. <laughs> Dallas Keuchel, you saw something from John Heyman that caught your interest. Uh, what, what did John Heyman have to say about the Dallas Keuchel contract Well, just said the Astros still have interest in bringing back Dallas Keuchel, so... That means that you know maybe it's not out of the question that Dallas Keuchel is back in an Astros uniform, and we have to remember that beginning of the off season, uh, you know, they did offer him the qualifying offer. Dallas Keuchel said he's not going to take that; wants a multi-year deal. The Astros had offered him a multi-year deal in the past, coming off his Cy Young Award season. He turned that down. So moving forward from here, we'll still have to see how it shakes out because we've also heard rumors that the Cincinnati Reds were interested in Dallas Keuchel, but they just traded for Sonny Gray and uh, signed him to an extension. So that's probably a, a, not an option now, I would think. Then you have like other teams who've been mentioned, whether it's the Los Angeles Angels or the Philadelphia Phillies, because remember their, their owner said they're going to spend crazy money. So you have to look at what's happening now with the with the Astros and, and the fact that they Lost Charlie Morton, of course, to the Tampa Bay Rays. Lance McCullers, as you mentioned earlier, might be dreaming about his coffee shop someday. But right now he's on the DL after Tommy John surgery and not available for the upcoming season. The Astros lost out, you know, on trying to get Jay Happ or trading for James Paxson. So, so really, there's an opening there. And the fact that Dallas Keuchel might not be getting the years and the money that he thought that he could get, he's still a Boris client, so they're going to wait it out. We know how Scott Boris likes, and it's already late in the January, but if if Dallas Keuchel doesn't seem to find a situation that he likes or years that he likes or the money that he likes, maybe he comes back to the Astros. Maybe they can find some way to bring him back because they still have an opening in their rotation. They still need to add 
uh, a starter, another starter, another veteran starter. Under the radar a little bit, uh, Cody Allen go to, goes to the Angels. Uh, are you concerned at all that the Angels are making some good moves this offseason? You mentioned Dallas Keuchel as a possibility there, too. Well, just looking at the division right now, it's been kind of like it's been the Seattle Mariners who've been grabbing the headlines throughout it just because of who they've shipped out. You know, Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, Gene Segura as well. And they've have brought in some players, too, like a Jay Bruce and uh, you know, they've had other players that they've added to the roster. That one's interesting to me because you feel like Seattle, after unloading all these players, are are they really – but they've, they've added to the roster too. Are they going to be somebody – they even added Hunter Strickland today to add to the bullpen and, you know, going out getting all these different guys – uh, but they're probably going to be a, a notch down. And then you look at the Angels. They missed out on the playoffs last year. But like you said, adding a Cody Allen to the back of the bullpen, that'll help the back of their bullpen. But, I mean, they still need to add to that team. They still need to get starting pitching. They still need to kind of fill out their pitching staff even more. And, you know, I just don't think when you look at the American League right now, you look at the American League West, to me the Astros are still the best team in the American League West. And of course, Oakland was coming on last year. Now, now Oakland lost Jed Lowry to the New York Mets. Oakland also, they had been looking potentially at bringing back Sonny Gray. He goes to the Reds. So they are still looking to add to the rotation. And But they have a good young core. They were in the playoffs. They gave the Astros you know, their money's worth last year that, you know, chasing them till the final day of the season, practically. So you have to look at like Oakland and but but the Astros are really should be the class of that division just with the the core that they're bringing back being the 2017 world champions losing out to the Boston Red Sox and the ALCS. You have to still say that the Astros are the top. But if there is a team that has room to move here or maneuver that maybe is a little quiet right now, it could be the Angels because they really have to do something with Mike Mike Trout. And the fact that he's going to be a free agent, they don't want to lose Mike Trout. Well, what's the way that you go out and get, you know, Mike Trout excited? You build a more competitive team around him that can make that playoff. Maybe they don't win the division, but they've at least got to be in it and grab a wild card this year. Get that spot that, that Oakland got last year. Get into the playoffs and see where they can go. You ready to talk Hall of Fame? Sure, if you're ready to talk Hall of Fame. But I did have one thing that I wanted to ask you about uh, and it's basically, I know you always love talking about Astros' future. Well, actually, Jimmy Price, right? You would, uh, you have him on uh, a lot on the show. And basically, the baseball pr- perspective just came out with their top 100 prospects, and five Astros were on it. I just wanted to see what you thought of their list. At number five was Forrest Whitley, the right-handed pitcher we know all about. And, of course, Kyle Tucker, who we've seen, was at number 12. Number 34 uh, Jordan Alvarez, number 77, Josh James, who's already been on the major league roster, who we're familiar with, and 78, Corbin Martin. Any of those names, like, are you excited to see this upcoming season? Oh, yeah. No, I'm excited to see Forrest Whitley. How can you not be excited to see Forrest Whitley? I've been hearing about him. I mean, I've heard Jeff Luno just rave about him. I mean, Jeff Luno puts him in the same sentence with somebody like Justin Verlander or whatever, when he was talking about him. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, I want to see that guy. I mean, Corbin Martin, I saw him in high school, RG. Well, I don't need to see him. I mean, I'm, I saw yeah. I did a story on him. I interviewed Corbin Martin when he was in high school. So, yeah, I remember him. Uh, good guy. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, you don't want to see a bunch of injuries. I, I don't think you're going to see Corbin Martin unless there's some injuries. Maybe you see him in September or something like that if he just has – a fantastic year, but um, yeah, for the most part, we know we're going to see Kyle Tucker at some point, if, if not at the start of the season. And of course we're going to see 
uh, Josh James, he's going to be on the roster. So those guys, to me, that they're even considered minor leaguers at this point, I, I, you know, I, that's debatable. <laughs> well, I mean, they're still qualified for a rookie status. So, but uh, I wanted to ask about that that rotation when you were just mentioning right there, because the Astros last season they had the best rotation, that historic rotation. But this upcoming season, you only have Verlander and Cole are both going to be free agents, as we just mentioned about Dallas Keuchel. But to me, it's like you, you, Colin McHugh is moving back into the uh, rotation. But you have to look around at like, okay, yeah, you have Josh James. You have like a Corbin Martin. You have Forrest Whitley. You have Framber Valdez. You have these guys that could potentially slot in there. And that's what's good. Even a Brad Peacock, he's turned out to be very valuable in the bullpen. But that's why you need to get that other potential veteran starter in there because you want to be able to – we know the Astros got really lucky last season, remember, because they really didn't have anybody until like the end of the season. Remember when Lance McCullers went on the DL and they called up like Framber Valdez to take a spot in the rotation. I mean, they really had didn't have any injury problems. And most of the time through the course of Major League Baseball season, you're going to need, you know, eight or nine starters. I mean, just look at the previous year, you know, stuff when they've had, you know, Dallas Keuchel go down or Lance McCullers, as we mentioned, you know, or Charlie Morton was on the DL in the championship season in 2017. I mean, you always had these kind of things happen and you have to have like, that's why it's always good to have eight or nine good starters. Cause then you don't know, even with the starters that you do have, you don't know if like one of them might have an off year. They might not be, you know, what you were expecting there. You can always plug in replace with somebody else it just seems like a major league baseball today because of injuries because of you know guys might go in and out slumps because the things are cyclical you know that you like to have that extra depth that extra padding yeah oh i agree i mean there's you're absolutely 100 percent right definitely uh right about that uh mariano rivera roy holiday mike musina and edgar martinez all are the new members of the hall of fame four new members RG, my favorite part of the announcements, though, was Hall of Fame President Jeff Idelson showing off his Espanol. If you, if you didn't catch it, let me just give everybody a quick taste. Nuestro cuarto el ultimo nuevo miembro, un momento me parece que estoy escuchando Enter Sandman, se une Rod Carew como el segundo Panameño en lograr el más alto honor del béisbol, Mariano Rivera. Bienvenido al Salón de la Fama del Béisbol en Cooperstown. <laughs> I love it, Archie. You know what? I, my favorite part of that was escuchando Enter Sandman. <laughs> like Houstonians hear that and go, wait, that's your Spanish? That's the best that you can do? But I just, I just cracked me up the whole thing. Uh, Escuchando Enter Sandman. <laughs> Before we get to the Astros players on the ballot, what, what did you think of the guys that got in? Or were you upset about any player who, who didn't get in this well, year? Well, first of all, speaking of Mariana Rivera, congrats for being the first 100% unanimous decision. We all knew, know he's the greatest reliever of all time, was affirmed by that vote count. You have to also kind of credit the voters because there wasn't that cranky old sports writer that, you know, doesn't cover baseball anymore or just might be holding a grievance because, oh, well, one of my favorite players didn't get in, you know, two or three years earlier. So I'm going to take that out against Mariano Rivera. So also credit to the BBWAA that didn't have harbor any resentments there. But come on, we all know that, you know, Nolan Ryan should have been unanimous. 
Cal Ripken should have been unanimous. Willie Mays should have been unanimous. Babe Ruth should have been unanimous. Hank Aaron should have been unanimous. I mean, it, it's taken this long is almost kind of silly. Bill Conlon disagrees, though. Bill Conlon says, no, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, this that was... But I, again, congratulations to all those guys. I think that probably, I don't know, were there any guys that you look out there and you, you look at that those four guys that were inducted this year and you say, wait, maybe that guy's not quite a Hall of Famer in my book? Hell, I, I want to get back to that in just a second, but I, I do want to get to a guy that I, I feel like just, I, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Let's just, let's give you player X and player X is playing for the New York Yankees. Okay, and he's playing for the New York Yankees his entire career, or he's playing for the Dodgers his entire career, the Los Angeles Dodgers or the Chicago Cubs. And player X has 493 home runs. He has nearly 2,500 hits. He has a 917 postseason OPS in 50 games. He, He plays in the PED era against players and pitchers who were using, but by all accounts, he did it the right way. You know, he, he was never accused of anything. Um, you know, he was top five in OPS and home runs for seven consecutive years. Um, only four other players have done that. Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, and Mike Schmidt. Uh, if that player was playing for the Yankees, Dodgers, or the Cubs, RG, do you think he gets in the Hall of Fame? I know. You're talking about Fred McGriff, and I think that he should be in the Hall of Fame, yes. Yeah, and this was his last year, and his, you know— the biggest mistake that he made was playing for six different teams. And well, it that. wasn't a mistake. He had quite a successful career, you know, and yeah. played in World Series and all that. I mean, I, he regrets any of that. I, I think that, you know, it's one of those things. That it's just unfortunate because not only the teams that he played, but he was also in the steroid era. So when you have guys like even like Bonds, like people look and say, you know, Fred McGriff, even though he played clean and there was never a link to any of that to him. It's just like, well, he was playing during an era that, you know, there were all these inflated numbers. So that works against him, too. If he had that 500 mark, he came seven short of it. But I think in the long run, I mean, with the Veterans Committee, I think that he'll eventually get it. Just a shame that he wasn't voted in by the riders. Yeah. To answer your question earlier, no no problem with the four guys that were voted into the Hall of Fame. But I'm going to pull it back to something because I want to get to the Astros on the ballot. So Jeff Kent, 77 votes, uh, 18%, six year on the ballot for him. Billy Wagner, 71 votes, uh, fourth year on the ballot for him, that's 16%. Andy Pettit, 42 votes, 9.9%, first year on the ballot. RG Lance Berkman and Roy Oswalt were on the ballot for the first time this year. They needed 5% of the Hall of Fame vote to stay on the ballot. They didn't get it. Uh, You disappointed or, or did you expect this? I'm disappointed that they aren't on the ballot. Look, remember, I don't know if you even remember, but we had after Lance Berkman retired, we talked to Allison Footer and we even asked her this question. We asked, do you think that Lance Berkman will make it into the Hall of Fame? And she told us uh, on Houston Sports Talk, I don't I don't think so. I don't really think so. I mean, he was a great player, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame category. And so I think most people, because of, you know, his career, very good player, maybe not quite Hall of Fame, just short of it. But the problem that I have, and I think a lot of people have, is that with that 5%, you have to make that really Lance Berkman was a player that should be debated more like a Todd Helton still on the ballot uh, was able to, you know, get another year continue on. And Todd Helton's a great player might eventually make it in the Hall of Fame. We've seen now that, you know, 
other guys who are like a Scott Rollins on the ballot. You know, there are a lot of guys that are debatable candidates. And at least Lance Berkman, he didn't put it up longevity wise. If he had put it up, if he had played a, few, a two or three extra years and padded his stats, he'd be a Hall of Famer. I mean, the main argument against him is he did it in too short a time period. But we should at least be able to have this argument. We should be at least able to you know, for the next few years, you know, see if his vote tally increases, see if he gets up to, you know, 15, 20, 25 percent. Then down the road, maybe the Veterans Committee can go back and look, oh, well, you know, Lance Berkman, you know, I played against him or I, you know, remember uh, coaching him or whomever. or I remember observing him as a, a media member. And this guy was dominant. This guy was on the Astros and he was their best player for many years. And he was the 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 main piece to their their world. Series. I mean, he has a real case as maybe one of the best switch hitters of all time uh, next to Mickey Mantle. So, I mean, there's that's a reason you just need to examine his case more, be able to look over the, the Sabre metrics, be able to look over all his statistics, compare them to contemporaries of his day, get all of that. And it's a shame that you only get one year of it and he's dropped off the ballot. His career OPS, number 27th in Major League Baseball history. Number 28 is Willie Mays. Number 29 is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Number 31 is Albert Pujols. Berkman finished top seven in the MVP voting six times. He's sixth all-time in home runs among switch hitters. His postseason OPS was a ridiculous 949. RG, I, I understand that you know this whole idea of you've got to play a certain amount of time or a longer amount of time to me, like Harold Baines is one of those guys where he played a long time, but he wasn't great. Whereas Lance Berkman played a shorter time and was great. And sometimes I just wonder like, what's our range? Like how good, how long do you have to be great for how many years before you're, you know, acquiring statistics or compiling them doesn't always make you great. We know that. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, usually for the Hall of Fame, you have to have like though. If you are going to have a shorter, it's got to be like that Sandy Koufax, right? It's got to be like uh, you know that where you had just such you were head and shoulders. You won multiple MVPs or multiple Cy Youngs, and and you were just you know for that ten year stretch or eleven year stretch, you were just phenomenal. Or you're like a look. A lot of people criticize. I mean, and we're from Houston. We we love the Astros and Astros players. Craig Biggio as a as a stat compiler. You know, but basically he got in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because of of you know longevity. He was able to play multiple positions. But the main reason is he got that magic three thousand hits number. If if Craig Biggio ends up with twenty eight hundred hits, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Probably right. Uh, so I mean, that was a big marker for him to get. But I mean, part of it also too is to play that many years in baseball. That's a badge of honor as well. Because I mean, a lot of guys, you know, can't play, you know, till that age, either injuries or declining productivity. So you know, for Craig Biggio to play all those years and to have that longevity, that's something. So I think it's there's a mixture of both. But yeah, it's it's to me the real travesty here with Lance Berkman, even with Roy Oswalt, is that. You know, a lot of writers, especially on a year like this year, you know, that you you only have 10 names on there. So a lot of guys, you know, fill out their ballots with 10 names or guys that they might want to put on. And now that you, uh, Mariano Rivera is on every ballot, probably going to be similar next year with Derek Jeter on every ballot. Then you got guys like, you know, if you're from New York and you put on the, the four guys that got into the Hall of Fame. Then you probably put on Andy Pettit because you observed him. That's five right there. Then you said like a Fred McGriff, six, maybe a Kurt Schilling, seven. Maybe you say, OK, I want to put on 
you know, Barry Bonds and, and Roger Clemens, eight, nine. Bingo. Let, bingo. That's that's what I that, that's what I want to talk about, because I think that's the that's what killed Berkman this year is that there's the, there, there was the log jam of the steroid guys that keep getting pushed back. So they they're still on a ton of those ballots. And that keeps somebody like Lance Berkman from staying on the ballot. So we get to re-argue his case over the years a little bit longer. Well, maybe they should make it like without all these steroid guys. Maybe they should go back up to 15. You can put 15 guys in the Hall of Fame. Maybe then that gets more people up and you have more of a discussion. But I think they wanted to, the Hall of Fame with all these players being added each year. And, and plus the steroid guys that keep getting carried over from year to year. They want to be able to have it to where it's a certain select number of players and just not, you know, open up the floodgates. But it really kind of, like you said, that adversely affected Lance Berkman because Barry Bonds and they, I mean, and Roger Clemens, they get over 50. They're on ha- over half the ballot. So right there, if you add them to the four Hall of Famers getting in this year, plus those two, that's six. Base, then you're, you know, you have a lot of great players, whether it's a Billy Wagner, whether it's a Jeff Kent whether it's a Kurt Schilling, they're still on the ballot that, you know, every year that we're not even talking about the steroid guys, you know, so then, uh, or Scott Rowland, you know, th- those are Larry Walker that, you know, get a, a huge significant portion of the vote and they're still on there. And next year with Derek Jeter coming on the ballot and some other new guys too, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult. This thing's going to happen over and over again, but it's just a shame because Lance, Lance Berkman being the Astros best player for pretty much a 10 year period, right? Uh, once Bagwell was in kind of decline, I mean, Lance Berkman kind of took that mantle from him and Biggio was at kind of the end of his career. I mean, Lance Berkman was the team and Roy Oswalt was the ace. And and these are guys that, you know, maybe they aren't Hall of Fame players, not saying that they deserve a plaque in Cooperstown, but they at least merit more consideration than one one and done. Yeah. And I think Mike Mucina is a Hall of Famer, but I, I told you I was going to come back to him or come back to one of the guys. And if you were playing in a playoff game, would you ha- rather have Mike Mussina on the mound or Roy Oswalt on the mound? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, we're from Houston. We'd love to see Roy Oswalt. That guy was tough as nails. I mean, especially after what happened with the the Albert Pujols moonshot home run and three and the history in Houston to go up and do what he did in St. Louis. I mean, I have to say Roy Oswalt. Yeah, and what, nothing against Mussina because great playoff pitcher as well. I mean, yeah. b- both guys put up some pretty astounding numbers in, in the playoffs. I mean, they had some big games at big times and he lost some you see lost some weird games where he didn't get a whole lot of run support or anything like that but uh Roy Oswalt's career postseason pitching ERA was almost the identical to Musina a little bit lower but not by much not by much but I mean both of those guys really good just Oswalt you know not the extent of his career I guess and that obviously like we said that acquiring the numbers sometimes that's a big part of the game but you know, Lance Berkman to me, I mean, just it's just, it's it's a shame. He should be on the ballot longer. He should, you know, he's going to get to the Veterans Committee quicker. I guess, Archie. I mean, that's the one thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you're the guys who are off the ballot, right? They go to the bed. But I mean, there's going to be guys like a Fred McGriff, like you said, who have precedence over like you know, Lance Berkman, who you know was nearly elected into the Hall of Fame after we saw what happened with Harold Baines earlier this year. And I don't mean to keep going back to something like that, but that was a guy that got into the Hall of Fame. That, like you said, it was more of a he was a good player over the course of his career. But I mean, that's still a very controversial Hall choice because usually when you think of players like you know, for the Hall of Fame, you know, I mean, you can make cases for your, you know, your Mike Mussinas and stuff like that. And you can say, yeah, they 
they probably were I could see them going to the Hall of Fame, even though that you you know they weren't like jump off the page, you know, Hank Aaron and George Brett and uh, Nolan Ryan types. But yeah, but you could say, well, they they were really excellent, you know, all-star major league players and they have the numbers and they compare favorably to the guys who are already in the hall. But when you have your Bill Mazeroskis and you have your uh, you know, your Harold Baines get and that's when the people that are, and even maybe I know that he had the, the 300 wins and, you know, the Burt Blylevin types, you know, it's like, that's when you're knowing you're thinking to yourself, I watched those guys play. I don't know that they were hall of famers when I was, you know, so that's where it kind of can be a little dicey. And, and so going forward here, I don't know how the veterans, especially after that kind of controversial decision with Harold Baines this year, but I want to ask you, Harold Baines, speaking of Harold Baines, Edgar Martinez, a designated hitter. This is kind of the year of the designated hitter finally getting that stigma off the Hall of Fame where, hey, if you don't play defense, you probably shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. I was happy for Edgar Martinez. You know, I'm glad you brought it up because that's I was the last thing I was going to add was just just real happy for him because we know if he didn't play in this era of the designated hitter, he would have been playing third base. He might not have been the best third baseman defensively, but, you know, you would left him out there because he's one of the best hitters. I mean, just incredible. And, you know, I was just extremely happy that he finally got in. It took too long, but you know, so what he got in like, like the hall of famers like to tell you, no, nobody ask you when you're at the hall of fame. Well, how long did it take you to get in? (laughs) That's never part of the discussion. (laughs) Once you're in, you're in. (laughs) Yeah. And I I guess before, yeah, kind of, we wrap up this whole show. We also uh, definitely need to make mention of, of Roy holiday, the late Roy holiday who doc, you know, all time, I mean, he was a dominant again. That was a guy, you know, maybe he didn't have the longevity, but there was no question when you were watching him pitch over the years that he pitched when he was at his best, he was the best pitcher in the game, you know, or arguably one, you know, one of the top two or three. So, you know, that was somebody that nobody wanted to face when he was at his top. I mean, he pitched a no hitter against the Cincinnati Reds in the playoffs. I still remember watching that game where, you know, it was for all the marbles to, to advance with Chris Carpenter and and that great Phillies team that had the rotation with with Halliday and and Roy Oswalt and Cliff Lee. Remember uh, watching that, but it was Roy Holiday who had that. He ended up losing one to nothing. But you just always saw the grit, determination, great pitcher, great competitor, and it just it's just a shame that he passed away and can't share that. But his family will be there representing him. Last thing we got is speaking of the Hall of Fame, the Astros are going to have a Hall of Fame at Minute Maid Park, long time overdue. The 2019 inductees, the inaugural class is Bob Aspermani, uh, former uh, guests on our show, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Jose Cruz, Larry Durker, Gene Elston, Milo Hamilton, Joe Morgan, Joe Necro, Shane Reynolds, J.R. Richard, former guest on the show, Nolan Ryan, Mike Scott, Jim Umbricht. Don Wilson and another former guest, Jimmy Wynn. Hey, what about Casey Candell? You forgot. No Casey Candell, but RG, about a year and a half ago, I spoke to Astros authentication manager and team historian, Mike Acosta, who's working on designing the Astros Hall of Fame. He told me of his vision of what the Hall of Fame could potentially look like. Let's listen to about a minute of that conversation. I mean, personally, I have a, a vision of what this would look like. 
you know, where you walk into an area where you, where you see a diorama of Colt Stadium. You see the, the uniforms, you know, you can hear Gene Elston calling the, the game at Colt Stadium. You can hear the, the Colt 45's fight song, you know, then you walk into another room and you, it has a domed ceiling. It looks like the Astrodome from the outside. There's a replica of the scoreboard firing off. You know, you see the, the great games. There's an, in, there's a interactive sort of notion to, to it. I mean, it's it, I, I can see where we can take this. A lot of the stuff fans have never seen before, and it's it's great. I mean, I was just looking at a, a video that was shot in the Astros clubhouse uh, in 1997 when the night that they clinched the division, and it was just a it was it was a camera that was stationed in the clubhouse, and you could see the clubhouse guys getting the champagne ready and putting the plastic over the locker stalls and. And then the, you know, the, the, the game ended. You could hear the, the radio broadcast. The game ended. The players started to slowly file in after they were celebrating on the field. And then the celebration ensued in the clubhouse. And it was really great because uh, it was a, a point of view that the fans have never really been able to see. You know, a Hall of Fame type project or something similar to that would uh, would enhance that ballpark experience in, in the way that, that uh, you know, the authentication and Astros Authentics, you know, really enhances the, the visit to Minute Maid Park. Interesting stuff from Mike Acosta. And by the way, you can check out the entire conversation in our Houston Sports Talk archives. It's from the summer of 2017. RG, I was thinking of the cool virtual reality things you could do in an Astros Hall of Fame. You could see what it's like to stand at the plate for a Nolan curveball or a J.R. Richards slider. You could feel what it was like to you know, sit in the stands with Alex Bregman at when he had the walk-off single in the World Series. Or I thought you were going to say uh, sitting in the dugout at 86 with uh, Charlie Kerfeld with the cone felt, or the, the, the cone head, uh, Larry Anderson, and eating pizza. Maybe that would be and drinking beer. I was also thinking you could try to avoid a punch from Brett Myers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what was interesting to me, though? That was something that sounded great with that virtual reality experience because, I mean, that would be – I, I, I never was able to – I mean we weren't born when like Colt 45 Stadium and be able to experience that where you know, you're walking into the old old stadium and the Colt 45s and to be part of that. Or then even to go back – that's where our childhood was, was at the Astrodome and the exploding scoreboard. I mean you know that would send kind of chills up our spines to be able to have some kind of experience like that. So I mean if they're able to do that plus have all the plaques plus really make it something special, I mean that that would add to the fan experience at Minute Maid Park for sure. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's it's fun to talk with Acosta. I'll probably get him on uh, in the not too distant future. I know it's busy right now for him with uh, everything that's happening and. Uh, you know, he's been working on it. This is his like pride and joy. And like I said, go, go look at, go listen to that conversation, uh, for, for the listeners, if you haven't already, cause it's, it's a really cool conversation. I think it's like 45 minutes or an hour and we get in a lot of history and other stuff there with him. Um, he's, he's an interesting guy and just like such a fan of, of the team growing up and, uh, we get into that as well. But, uh, any last words, RG, before we head out? Just about the Houston Cougars and uh, college basketball, I guess we should probably mention them, right? Uh, yeah, even though we're talking a little bit about baseball here right now, but have to, we didn't on the last show, so might as well give them props too. Just one loss on the season. They're in the top 10, and what is the new RPI? Uh, just It's an amazing what's going on. It, it just not any buzz really in Houston, I guess. Like U of H, I mean, I, I, well, part of it, I think, is just the fact that they don't have you know, McDonald's, all they don't have this guy that really 
stands out that everybody's talking about. I mean, like last season. Yeah, even yeah, even a Rob Gray. But I mean, they've got a couple of really good players, but it's just not. It's not like that. It's just it's all grit, grind, and defense, and they'll, they'll, they're just going to wear you down. But yeah, uh, congratulations to to the Cougars uh, for continuing on this magical role, and you know, looking forward, maybe they can make that you know, final four run this year. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely within reason. I mean, it feels like it's pretty open in college basketball, like it is most seasons these days without, you know, guys staying in the, in the college basketball for that long going to the NBA. So uh, anyway, we're going to talk to you again next week. Uh, thanks again to RG and thanks ever, to everybody listening. We'll catch you up with you real soon. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.